Hello and welcome to Kes Talks, talks for our times from the Keswick Convention. This week we're making available to you all the talks from Virtually Keswick Convention. The online event held in 2020 in place of the annual summer convention in Keswick. This means you can easily catch up on any of the talks that you might have missed. This episode brings you the second evening celebration of the week by Andy Prime on 1 Peter 1. Okay, I've got 20 minutes. 20 minutes or I want to use for a wee thought experiment. Imagine right now, start of our 20 minutes, you compose an email to everyone in your contacts list. You also post it as a status on Facebook to all your friends. You send a tweet to all your followers. You ping this around all your colleagues at work and you forward it to all your family on a WhatsApp group. And this is the message. I believe in God as the creator of everything. I believe in the Bible as God's authority on everything. I believe in hell as the deserved destiny of everyone. I believe in Jesus as the only one that's able to save anyone. And because of those things, I believe that the Bible's teaching on gender, sexuality, marriage and family are not just right, but they're good. That's it. That's the tweet. That's the email. That's the post. Now, how do you feel as your finger hovers over the send button. Hitting the send button on that could feel a little bit like dropping a grenade. But imagine you post it, now start the 20 minutes, and then you put your phone away for the rest of that time. What notifications do you reckon that you'll have back when you check in? Now, if all you've got is fan mail, amens, and hallelujah high fives, then you've obviously got no non-Christian friends. Because if you throw that into the public square in the UK in 2020, you'll be thrown to the lion's den in social media. You'll be abused, you'll be accused, you'll be hated by people who call you a hater. Or use the language of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, you'll feel like an exile. That's who Peter's writing to. To the homeless and to the hated. Or to use the language of later on, chapter 4, verse 4, they'll heap abuse on you. Mainstream Christianity is considered to be a polluted backwater by mainstream culture. Jesus was clear on this. You follow me and you'll be hated by the world. If you become a Christian, it will make your life on earth harder. Increasingly today, all over the world. The invitation to become a Christian is not an invitation to join the comfort of a country club. It's an invitation to enter the contempt of a concentration camp. Now, you could legit object at this point and go, isn't virtually Keswick meant to be about hope? Did this lad not get the memo, right? He's gone, hate, not hope. But this hatred towards Christians is why Peter pens a letter rammed with hope for Christians. That's where he pins a letter at the end, chapter 5, verse 12. I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. He gets that it's going to be massively tempting for Christians to slip back in and drift with the flow. That's why he's got to write to you and to me, stand fast. And standing fast in the heat and the hate takes heaps of hope. Peter knows this. He's lived it. 
What will be the difference between caving into a slave girl in the hearing of a Jerusalem cockerel or standing up to be crucified upside down in front of Roman centurions? Hope transformed Peter and made him stand fast where he once slipped. And hope can and must transform us. And this hope needs to be huge because that hate can be loud. So here it is. Here's the hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Here's what he's saying. The antidote, the corrective to you pandering to the world is praising God for the hope he's given you in Jesus. The way to stand fast and not slip back is to marvel at the massiveness of the mercy of God. And as he works through it, the reason for the praising, the greatness of the mercy, the content of the gift is summed up in this picture, new birth. And Peter milks that image twice, verse 3 and then verse 23. And for him the phrase new birth becomes like a womb. All of our hope in Jesus is contained and comes from this womb of new birth. But to get that, we need to appreciate our first birth, our old birth. And Peter helps us with that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it wasn't with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from, and here it is, the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Here is the inheritance that is handed down between generations of humanity. It's an inheritance of emptiness. As soon as I was out emptying my mother's womb, I was entered into an empty existence, without God and without hope. From an earthly perspective, some of us will inherit a fortune from our ancestors. Some of us will inherit only debt from our ancestors. But all of us get handed down this empty way of life. And it's empty partly because it's so temporary. Everything perishes, spoils and fades. Peter goes, end of chapter verse 24. What's life like? Life is like a flower, Peter says. Now you might hear that and go, Oh, that's nice. I'm a flower. I must be beautiful and pretty and smell gorgeous. Wrong. That is not the point of the flower thing. The flower is not to say you're beautiful and pretty, but to say that you will wither and die. Aren't flowers so romantic? And again, you're probably going there, who is this miserable Scot who's gone from hate to death? This is why. Because it's from this emptiness that my forefathers handed down to me, that my heavenly father lifts me out of. And he lifts me out of it through what? The gift of new birth. It's a perfect image for Peter to choose. He doesn't choose it, he nicks it from Jesus in John chapter 3. But it's perfect because it shows first the massiveness of mercy. Now, careful here. It's not a pleasant place in your head to go to think about the moment of your own conception. So we're not going to dwell there. But suffice and safe to say, it was not something that we produced, but it was something that produced us. 
Right, just as emptiness can't produce fullness, nothing can't conjure up something, withering death can't produce imperishable life, so too a child can't birth themselves. God's mercy to us, though, in gifting us new birth is therefore not something we produce ourselves. It's something God gives to us. It's something that comes in his electing mercy, to use the language of verse 1. Hope comes from God. My first birth, my physical birth, I'm birthed by my earthly mother. But my new birth, my spiritual birth, I'm birthed by my heavenly father. My first birth sees me share in the likeness of my blood family as I'm stained by the guilt of my disobedience. My new birth from my heavenly father sees those stains removed as I'm sprinkled with the blood of Jesus for the obedience of faith. My first birth, it enslaves me to an inheritance of emptiness. My new birth redeems me to an inheritance of imperishable, unspoilable, unfading life. My first birth, it propels me withering towards a grave. My new birth propels me towards living hope through an empty grave. See, we praise God because our hope comes from him. Because that new birth magnifies the massiveness of his mercy. It's a perfect picture for that. But it's also a perfect picture, second, because it shows the totalness of the transformation. Alright, so it comes from the Father, but what is it into, verse 3? It is into living hope. Now, our birth is the most fundamentally transformative moment in our lives. It doesn't get more momentous than unborn to born. It's unrepeatable. And that's why it's the bob-on picture for what Peter's loading it with. The transformation in a Christian is as fundamental, as momentous as birth. It's not just like the adding of a hobby. It is the renewal of the whole. It's transformation from emptiness to hopefulness, from withering death to forever life. Now, partly because it comes from an everlasting and ever-living Father. But it comes also, end of verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the scoop. At the resurrection, Jesus' tomb becomes a womb. A womb that produces new life. After the pronouncement of his death and his crucifixion, came the announcement of life in his resurrection. And here's the transformation the risen Jesus achieves. The empty tomb means that death is not the end. The empty tomb means that life is not empty. The empty tomb means that the first you, the empty you, the withering you, doesn't need to be the last you. If you're not a Christian, maybe you've become resigned to emptiness later on in chapter 4 Peter makes a connection Jesus being the one who brought life from death makes him the one who will judge the living and the dead and if you think about those things his resurrection and his final judgment removes emptiness from our existence it gives meaning to everything there's a seriousness to that but in the seriousness of it it brings you to see the sweetness in it In Jesus, life isn't empty. And death doesn't render everything vanity. 
His life after death can produce life after death in you. You become something you weren't before, full of everlasting life, full of never dying hope. That's the transformation. New birth from everlasting Father through the ever-living Son creating a new you, a living with hope you. See, we praise God because we're not what we once were. And by the way, if you are a Christian, that change in you that gives you heavy hope is the same change that will invite hatred. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4. How real is this? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. For you, you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They, the world, are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. It's the change that's happened in you that invites the crit of you. Think of it this way. If, if all Jesus had to offer you was for this life, then it is not worth standing up for him at school. It's not worth living for him in the office. It's not worth making him known everywhere. Because it would just make the whole of your life a whole lot harder. But, but if his resurrection does transform emptiness to hope and temporary to eternity, then it changes the way you look at suffering for Jesus. I mean, look at the way Peter looks at it, chapter 1, verse 6. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. If you lose sight of the living hope and then suffering for being a Christian will feel like forever and it won't be worth it. But if you stand fast in this living hope, suffering for being a Christian will feel just like a little while and totally worth it so when you're suffering for being a Christian the living hope transforms suffering to a little while you'll need that but we need it too when we catch ourselves envying the world when standing fast is excruciating sliding back appeals because it looks easy you need to stop and though and ask yourself the question, what am I envying? We're envying emptiness. When you walk away from Jesus, you're walking away to nothing. We need to remember chapter 1 verse 7. Your faith is of greater worth than gold. So stand fast. The resurrection is not a dream. The tomb is empty. Your hope can be full. Alright, new birth. The perfect picture for the massiveness of God's mercy and the totalness of the transformation. But third, new birth is the kind of womb that shows the hope of home. Peter's called this group of Christians exiles. Alright, getting a battering for Jesus has led to a scattering. They've fled home. And become homeless. So from one angle you can read that word exile as a dreary word. It speaks of their past suffering. But for Peter that word 
is given like a fresh lick of paint by the transformation we just talked about. It's not a word that speaks of their lack of an earthly home. It's a word that speaks of their hope of an eternal home. Ah, they lost their earthly inheritance. They lost everything when they had to flee their home for following Jesus. They lost houses. They lost land. They lost possessions. They lost everything that can perish, spoil their fate. But in following Jesus, they have gained an inheritance, one that can never perish, spoil their fate. And again, think of Peter who's writing this. He had left everything to follow Jesus. He'd left his living when he walked away from his nets. He'd left his family, left his home when he walked away from Galilee. In time, he was going to lose his life. Murdered for following and preaching Jesus. He likely had very little when he died. But, because of the gift of new birth from his heavenly father, he was being kept for his father's inheritance. His hope in life and death, the new birth that gives living hope, was the hope of home. It's a great new hymn. It's got lyrics. Be still and remember the worst that can come, but shortens our journey and hastens us home. See, be an exile as a Christian is not to be homeless, it's to be hopeful. Either away from home, but they're going home. This world may be a concentration camp for Christians, but Christ's going to bring them to a celestial city. The empty tomb of Jesus' resurrection is not just a womb that gives birth to a new life in a Christian, but it promises the restoration of all things. Our hope of home is kept for us in heaven, verse 4. But heaven is not that home. Home will be the new lives in new bodies in a new creation when Christ is revealed. See, our new birth is coupled to the new creation. Our being born again is bonded to him coming again. And so we praise God because he'll bring us safe home. New birth. The massiveness of mercy, new birth, the totalness of the transformation, and new birth, the hope of home. So, 20 minutes are up, give or take. You pick up your phone and you check the notifications. Maybe unfriended, maybe heaped with abuse, maybe unfollowed, maybe lost your job. Maybe removed from WhatsApp groups. Maybe disowned by family. Maybe ridiculed publicly. Maybe dismissed as a radical. Maybe worse. But now you've got two options. You can consider the heat and the hate too much. You can slide back into the easiness of drifting downstream into mainstream emptiness. And the calculation there is that the grave is the end, the resurrection is a myth, hell isn't real, and the fading glory of this world is all there is. Or, you can stand fast by setting your gaze on all the reasons to praise God. Great mercy, living hope, risen Jesus, unfading inheritance. And the calculation there is that the empty tomb is that womb that gifts you new birth and that this word of God endures forever. So as we close, let me read to you 
some verses from 1 Peter chapter 5. So be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist them. Standing firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the grace, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Talks from Virtually Keswick Convention are all being made available through Kes Talks. You can access them through iTunes and Spotify, as well as your favourite podcasting apps. You can also watch the sessions via the Keswick Convention YouTube channel or by visiting the Virtually Keswick website at vkc.keswickministries.org.